we all know and love him. Our host, Dominic Carter, has moderated debates with Hillary Clinton, billionaire Michael Bloomberg, and even interviewed Nelson Mandela. Here is our host, political commentator, Dominic Carter. Hello and welcome, and once again, hello and welcome. I have been thinking about one of my past interviews in particular that is quite relevant today. The interview is with Raymond Santana. He's one of the so-called Central Park Five. This story is very much about race and crime, which history has shown us can be quite explosive and, of course, polarizing. We have to start with the fact that the charges, all the charges against the Central Park Five, were vacated in 2002. Here is Raymond Santana, and let's go. The Donald Trumps, the Ann Coulters, you know, the bloggers who who still say that we're guilty, or that we're guilty of something, you know, because they just can't let it go. They just can't let it go that we were innocent and that we did commit this crime at the end of the day. Reyes has told you on more than one occasion that it was him and him alone, the DNA match. What more do you need? So here's the backdrop. In 1989, a young woman, a young white woman who was an investment banker at the time, was jogging through New York's Central Park. And she was found and had been viciously beaten and raped. It was unclear if she would even survive and remained in a coma that lasted 12 days. More than a decade later, DNA evidence exonerated the five Harlem teens that spent years in prison after being convicted of the crime. The teens, now grown men, did between 6 and 13 years behind bars. This is an interview I did with Raymond Santana. It was in 2014 before Donald Trump was elected president. Raymond Santana, here we are at Melba's Restaurant, a popular restaurant in Harlem, four blocks from Central Park. You can see Central Park from this restaurant, a park that changed your life forever on the evening of April 19th, 1989. A lot has changed since then. How do you feel? Um, You know, it's still a park that affects my life to this day. Since 89, I have never been in that park. Um, We drive by it all the time. I never go in there. My daughter now is 10 years old. I don't take it that way just because I don't want her to see the uh, numerous uh, playgrounds. So she said, Daddy, can we go in there and play? So I avoid it at all, at all times. You haven't been in Central Park since 1989? Since 1989. And I go by it all the time. I live four blocks away. You know, I take alternative routes so that my daughter doesn't want to go into the park because it affects me that much. Why? why? Why does it affect you at this stage of your life? Because it's still something I still have to deal with every day. I'm no longer Raymond Santana, the childhood friend, uh, uh, the cousin, you know, uh, the guy, the next door neighbor. 
I'm Raymond Santana, Central Park Five. And so that label would never go away. You know, that label will always be there until I go to my grave. The only thing is that now it stands for something that's a little more positive. What does that label mean, Central Park Five? Well, back in 1990, it was, we was the worst human beings on the planet Earth. You know, in prison to be known as, to be labeled a rapist. You know, the only thing that trumps that is a child molester. And then now, you know, Central Park Five, it, it puts an emphasis on it. You know, and that label was, was very negative back then. How old were you? You were what, about 14, 15 when this happened? 14 years old. 14 years old. And when you were placed in custody at that age, you either went to Spofford or Rikers. Which, which one did they send you to? Spofford. At Spofford. Yes. The case is settled now, but are you bitter? I'm not bitter, but there's still this, uh, I wouldn't say bitterness, but it's, it's there's still, like we say in the hood, it's always to be on point. And there's still that aspect with me because I've been fighting this case for so long that, you know, for now to just drop it and say that it's over, it's difficult. Every morning I wake up ready to fight, ready to do an interview, ready to talk to some kids, ready to tell the story. And then now it's like, is it over? That's not that simple for me. Does, does money settle this? Does money make you feel better? Does that make this right? Money at this point wasn't the, wasn't the object. You know, for us, it was about the closure. Now that we reached the closure, what do we do next? So the money, really, the money goes more than my daughter. It secures her future. It gives her a chance, you know. Um, and, and whatever we decide to do, you know, for the kids in the community, it gives them a chance. But what does it do for me? I'm about to be 40 years old. What do you mean money for the kids in the community? Well, you know, whatever we decide to do to give back to our people in our community. You're going to give back with some of this money? You know, it, it has to be. I mean, our community supported us so strongly. We have a duty to these kids. We have a duty to these, this generation that's coming up to be a major influence in their lives, to, 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 to cause about, bring about some change. When I say the name Donald Trump, what goes to your mind? You know, you know, this was the man who put out a, a, a full-page ad that gives us a death penalty. And we're talking about 14- and 15-year-old kids. He wanted to kill us. You know, now we've been exonerated. He comes back, you know, all these years later, he still says we're guilty. It's pathetic. You know, it, it, sometimes you got to feel sorry for a person like that because of their way of thinking. It's so twisted. This is the man who went after the president, you know? Mr. Trump called this settlement of some $40 million. I'm quoting here, Mr. Trump calls it a disgrace. Well, I mean, you know, you're talking about a man who, who hasn't done anything for our community. You know, he, he doesn't put any programs in our community. Only thing he does is take from us. He never gave us nothing back. Let, let me ask you this about uh, Mr. Trump, and I'm quoting here. He has implied that even now, Somehow you guys are involved in this. And I'm quoting Donald Trump. He says, settling does not mean innocence. Well, you know, with, Mr. Tr well, with Donald Trump, he, he's going by the Armstrong Report. The Armstrong Report was written by, you know, a distinguished lawyer who, who works for the police department by the name Michael Armstrong. And it just shows you what this man deals with. When people read that report, it's about a 50-page document, and it brings about theories that, of how they think that we're still guilty. And all those theories have numerous holes in them. None of them will stand up in court. Would you like to one day meet Donald Trump? No, I have no desire to at all. Why not? 
unless it came with an apology. So if Donald Trump apologized to you, you would meet with him? Yeah, maybe. We both know that that's probably not going to happen. So we don't even entertain that thought. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you have said that you feel you're still eyed with suspicion by many people. Is that accurate? Yes. You know, there's the bloggers, you know, we call them, you know, the, 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 the internet gangsters who, who still like to get on the social media, the Ann Coulters who write articles and say that we're still guilty. None of them have no real evidence to prove that. But, you know, they all go by the Armstrong report. Did police, now that you look back at this, did police trick you into a confession? Yes, definitely. It was coercion. It was trickery. They used everything in the book against us. You know, the, 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 uh, you know, the taking away of the basic necessities, you know, the sleep, no water, you know, being in a question and it's cold in there. You know, this, this goes back to the read technique, the nine steps on how to get a confession. They use that to the team. How long were you in a room when this happened uh, by, by police and the district attorney's um, office? This estimate that I was in there over 15 to 30 hours. In one room? Yes. With no food? No food. And no sleep? No sleep. A lot of people watching us right now, they have a hard time understanding that someone would confess to a crime that they didn't commit. And how do you respond to that? You know, first, people have to know the dynamics of a false confession, what takes place around it. Like I just told you, you know, the, the no sleep, the no food, the being in a room for, you know, several hours, uh, you know, the good cop, bad cops, that stuff that you see on Law and Order, which is it's, it's true, it happens all the time. But the difference is that those people who go into those situations, 9 out of 10 are 14, they're, they're minors, or, you know, maybe they have, don't have a high education level, or it's just pressure. When you walk into something that's unknown, you don't know what's going to happen to you. You feel at this point that the police can kill you and get away with it. As we see, it happens all the time. So when you walk into an element that is unsure of, or you don't know when it's going to stop, how long this process is going to take, that starts to break you down. President, how do you feel about police officers? You know, my, uh, I think for us, so we, we speak about this all the time. It's about those who run the police force, those who are in charge, those who make the rules, the policies, the procedures. Those are the ones that we got to hold accountable. You know, growing up, you see in a police officer, when I was real little, I lived in the Bronx and a police officer would come in and he knew the whole neighborhood. He knew the store owners. He knew my mother. He knew my father. And now there's none of that. There's no police and community relation. Um, so I can't put the whole blame on so-called police officers because I have come across numerous police officers who support the Century Park Five. You feel you didn't have a voice in 1989? That's correct, I didn't. Why do you say that? I was, I was 14 years old. Um, I didn't know the system. You know, I was a timid kid, afraid. Uh, and not that many people stood up for us. I came from a big family. A lot of them thought I was guilty. That's why my bill- Your own family? My own family. That's why my, my bail money was never raised. So this requires a stop, a full stop. Raymond Santana says some of his own family members didn't believe in his innocence. And let's look at his situation. He's a teenager and has to remain in jail, waiting for his trial, accused of a horrible crime. What does all this mean in human terms? Raymond Santana 
never even attended a high school dance, and his mother died of cancer while he was locked up. The Central Park case almost completely destroyed his father, but at least with his father, innocence all these years later has meant redemption. Now he's a very, he's, he's a proud man. And, and back in 89, he went through so much. He, he got ridiculed at work. He got ridiculed in the neighborhood. He developed a drinking problem. Um, and now, you know, he, he, he has done the 360. I can't get him to be quiet. You know, when the film came out, he wanted posters, T-shirts, and he tells the whole world if he can. What was the worst part of this experience for you? Besides going to jail and losing my freedom. <laughs> well, at least you can laugh about it now. <laughs> well, you know, along the way, we lost a lot of people. My mom's passed away when I was in prison due to cancer. How do you feel about the Central Park jogger? You know, with the jogger, you know, we understand that she went through a dramatic injury, right? And she was able to recover and come back. And in this process, her and the prosecutor and some of the detectives became very good friends. And so here you have somebody telling you for these years that we're guilty. Now Reyes comes along and he proves through DNA testing that we're innocent. The same people are still telling you we're guilty. And that's something that's very difficult to deal with. And so, we, you know, we never pushed the issue for her to meet us. We said if she ever wanted to talk to us, she could come and talk to us. Would you like to meet her? Yes, because I know that she has a lot of questions that she would like to ask. Really, why would you like to meet her? As far, you just said as far as questions. But why would you, Raymond Santana, like to meet her? Because I feel that she was victimized twice, not only by Mateus Reyes, but also by the people who she befriended, who told her this lie for all these years. And I still think that to a certain extent, she still believes it. Did you, throughout the years, become emotional and break down and say, I'll never be able to get over this? Yes. Yes. Um, which was landing me back in prison, back in, in, uh, in 1998, 99 you know, when I, when I caught the drug case, because that was a time for me where I felt I hit rock bottom and I felt there was no other obstacle for me. And I just gave up I said, you know what, the hell with it. I can't get a job. I can't move on. I'm gonna just do the best that I can. You couldn't get a job? I could not get a job. I filled out numerous applications. And you know, when they say, well, have you ever been convicted of a crime? Yes. You know, what is that crime? Rape in the first degree. There's no job. So you, you've been a tortured soul for a very long time. Very long time. What are you going to do with all that money? You know, it's, it's not a lot of money, you know, but I don't, you know, the only, the only option that I look at, the only thing I look at now is that I have the ability now to have options, which means that I'm not going to be so quick to rush to judgment. I'm just going to enjoy this moment and take my time and whatever I decide to do. So I, I would imagine even at the young age of 40 that you are in retirement now and that you don't work. No, I'm working. You're working? I'm still working. A multi-million dollar settlement and you're working? <laughs> I'm working. I'm working, you know, uh, because I never had a job, you know, or I had jobs for short periods of time. This is a job that I can say that, you know, I can own. I, I got a job. I'm doing something. I'm putting food on the table. You know, I'm paying bills, you know, and it's part of healing. It's part of making me whole. And so I'm not so quick to just leave it. And what do you do? Uh, I read somewhere that you, you work for a local union. Yes, I work for 1189 SCIU. I'm in the pension and benefits fund. So I, I, I process documents all day. 
How do you feel? Let's talk politics for a second before I let you go here. Mm -hmm. How do you feel uh, the corporation counsel, the chief lawyer for the city of New York that permitted this settlement to go forward is a former U.S. attorney, an African-American by the name of Zachary Carter. And of course, Mayor de Blasio ran on a platform of if he was elected, he would settle this case. Mm -hmm. We both know if the mayor didn't want this case settled, it wouldn't be settled. That's that's 100 percent correct. So how do you feel about the mayor? Um, I'm grateful. I'm grateful for the mayor, you know, that that he vowed to, to, to make a change with this city and 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 to take away that line of divides um, and bring them bring us all together. I'm glad that, you know, he said, you know what, there was an injustice that was done here and we need to correct this wrong. You know, I'm glad that Dante came out with this Afro and this Brooklyn sweater, you know, and, and it, it brought us that close to the mayor, you know, to see that his kids represented our youth. You know, our future, you know, um, and so I was, you know, I was I was just grateful at the end of the day. Mr. Santana, what do you say to people watching you right now that say, you know what, I'm not so sure these guys had something to do with this? You know, I tell them, I say, you don't. at the end of the day, you don't have to believe me. There's numerous documents that you can read. You know, there's the report by Nancy Ryan, which is a 52 page document that explains how we're innocent. You know, if you want to read the Armstrong report, that's fine. You know, I, you know, I challenge all media, you know, five, ten years from now, when all those uh, documents that are marked confidential become open to the public, if they ever do, read them. Jim Dwyer says that there were over 94,000 documents marked confidential. Is that to cover something that we did? No, I doubt that. What do you think about the media? I mean, you, you were 14 years old. Yeah. You didn't know anything about the media or newspapers or television reporters or ratings or selling papers. What do you think about the media now that you're 40 years old and you've um, been through this experience? You know, it, it, now, you know, when I got older and I started to do my research and, and find out that there were over 400 articles written on us within the first two weeks of this case. You know, 400? 400, over 400 articles written on the five of us. Called Wolfpack? Everything. Did that bother Urban, you? Of course. Wolfpack, urban terrorists, the term super predator. You were aware of what was being said about you? Back then, no. Just the label of the wilding, uh, uh, the urban terrorists, but it went deeper than that. You know, the super predator te terminology came because of this case where 41 states changed their juvenile laws to make them harsher. That I didn't know about until I got older. You know, and so... Now, you know, what we do is we ask the media, write the wrong, write the correct stuff. You know, when we was exonerated, we was on page 15. Put us on the front now. Let everybody know what happened to us. Don't hide away from it. Own up to your part. Own up to your responsibility as the media. Go and dig into those files and look at that stuff and put it out there. I've noticed from observing you around the community, you're almost like a hero figure now. Is, is, is there anything you'd like to uh, close with that's on your mind? The thing that we want people to know is that this is real. False convictions, false confessions happen all the time. And if you don't want to take our, our case as an example, go to the Innocence Project. There are over three exonerations on there. This stuff happens all the time, all across the country. And once we start to realize that it's real, then we can start to affect change. I, I close this way. You mentioned uh, prosecutions. Legendary Manhattan District Attorney Bob Morgenthau. I remember he sat down to do the interview with me and he admitted that his office made a mistake. 
and that there was no DNA evidence and that you guys were not guilty. And he pressed immediately to have you released from prison. How do you feel about Mr. Morgan Thorne? Grateful. You Are know, you grateful to I'm him? I'm grateful at the end of the day. Grateful at the end of the day, says Raymond Santana of the Central Park Five. Today, he lives in Atlanta, Georgia, with his daughter and launched a clothing line called Park Madison NYC. The proceeds from one of his T-shirts bearing the name of each member of the Central Park Five is donated to the Innocence Project, which helps to free innocent people from prison. The story of the Central Park Five has been told in a Netflix series, When They See Us. Join us next time for Conversations with Dominic Carter. Reach out to Dominic on Twitter at Dominic TV Radio. Dominic looks forward to hearing from you. Thank you for joining us.